Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Welcome into this week's edition of the Dog Walk Talk. It is Wednesday, October 13th, and I'm your host for today, Palmer Toms, joined by uh, Adam Luckett of Kentucky Sports Radio. Adam is a member of the On3 Sports Network and uh Appreciate you joining us today, Adam. Palmer, thanks for having me on, man. Excited to talk some ball with you. Yeah, we talked earlier today for a great Q&A piece that we've got over on Dogs HQ. Strongly encourage you, whether you're listening from Kentucky or Georgia, to head on over to Dogs HQ and check that piece out. Adam, with some great insight on the cats, uh, and we're going to continue to break it down today. Um, Adam, I guess let's start here with uh, Kentucky off to a 6-0 start this season under head coach Mark Stoops. What's the, uh, what's the atmosphere in, in Lexington like? People are excited, uh, to say the least. 6-0 and for the first time since Bear Bryant was roaming the sidelines in Lexington. You beat Florida for the second time in four years. You beat LSU in their first trip to Lexington since 2007. You handle your business against everyone else. And now you look at the rest of the schedule. Kentucky has this tall, tall task this weekend heading down to Sanford Stadium, play number one Georgia. But other than that, Kentucky's looking at like like we're, we're going to be a favorite in every game except this one right here against Georgia. So let's just go down there and roll the dice, see what happens. It, but no matter what happens, I think – people are dreaming big, obviously. If you win Georgia, what, what could happen? But big picture, I think people realize that this has to be a chance to all of a sudden be like this crazy good season. 
New Year's Six is a legit possibility, potential Sugar Bowl trip for Kentucky fans, which would be all-time for people around here. And then there's obviously, even if you lose to Georgia, there's a playoff avenue too if you went out, I think. So the, the excitement levels are off the charts. It's been a slow, methodical build in Lexington for Mark Stoops. And they're they slowly they're knocking up open doors, but then all of a sudden it seems like they're they've been able to kick open some doors this year, and it's setting up six and zero versus six and zero here in the middle of October for the SEC East um, against Georgia down between the hedges. Yeah, first time that two SEC East teams have met this late into the season at six and zero or better, um, and, and I feel like it's kind of the same story in Athens with with the way that Georgia has this number one spot for the first time in season since 1982. Um, you mentioned Kentucky coming in as an underdog. Um, you know, what, how did you feel when that, when that spread opened at 24 and a half to me felt a little big for what it's borderline top 10 matchup. Really told The main thing it told me was Vegas is trying to figure out Georgia. Like they're trying to figure out how good Georgia is right now because they just keep blasting teams on the field. I think they've covered every spread outside of the South Carolina game. And that one, South Carolina needed a score on Georgia's twos there at the end of the game to score a touchdown. So I really think Vegas is just at this point where they just keep raising this, the number higher and higher to just try to figure out what's the baseline level for Georgia this season. And for Kentucky, I get it. Kentucky has played to their competition this season. Outside the UL Monroe game, they messed around against Chattanooga. Missouri, they had a chance to blow Missouri out there in the second half, had a fumble at the goal line that really kind of turned that game. And they dropped an interception in the end zone. Either one of those happened, and it's probably a 21, 24-point victory there for Kentucky. They're at home against Mizzou. And then they really kind of did – and then against South Carolina, they were minus three in the turnover column in a low-possession game. And so there was no real chances for them to kind of – extend the lead against South Carolina because of those turnovers. Um, but if you go and watch that game on a play-by-play, quarter-by-quarter basis, they really kind of own the game. It's just the turnovers gave at South Carolina a lot of opportunities. And they kind of put it together against Florida and LSU, but they still had moments. Like against Florida, the offense, I think, was one of ten on third down. So they they did some good things on offense, but they could not get a drive together really because they couldn't extend drives. They, they failed miserably at situational football which was kind of odd because they've been a really good third down offense all season. And then I think you saw everything kind of come together against LSU, but even then the defense had a couple lapses there late in the game after the game was in full control. So slowly but surely they've kind of been putting it all together. So I get why maybe Vegas is a little hesitant. And then you add that together with Georgia just blistering teams to start this season. I could, I understand why I was thinking 18, 19, 20, about which was around what the Arkansas line was originally, and I think it dropped quick there before kickoff when JT Daniels got ruled out. But, but I, I, I get it. Um, I would I would probably set at eighteen nineteen, but I think we're at twenty three and a half right now. That's not too too far off from what I thought it would be. Yeah, yeah. I I, I I'm thinking. I think I'm with you there. That I thought it would probably open in that similar range to Arkansas. Um, you know, which, you know, it brings up another point. If you're a Georgia fan and, and you're a you know season ticket holder or whatever, you came into this year with with the home slate, you know, not having a big name on there, you know, no, 
you know, Tennessee's on the road, Auburn's on the road. Uh, you know, your, your marquee matchup in the non-conference is, is a neutral site game. You get Georgia Tech on the road. A lot of Georgia fans were looking at this schedule like ho-hum, you know, whatever. Uh, but, you know, it turns out the last two home games have both been, you know, top 10 or top 15 matchups. College game days rolled in, into town for both of them. So, uh, you know, pleasant surprise for Georgia fans that uh, – that will be packing the fans, packing the stands at uh, Sanford Stadium on Saturday. Um, yeah, my question for you would be: I watched that. I watched College Game Day a little bit that day, two weeks against Arkansas. Watched the game. Obviously, Game Day leading into noon kind of creates kind of a different vibe. But the place sounded like it was on fire. Um, and then, obviously, you you get out to a twenty-one nothing start. You know, it obviously it's going to be that way. I think, you know. For Kentucky coming in, do you think it's going to be kind of that same atmosphere? Is the excitement the same? I mean, because Georgia has on Kentucky has a one since 09 in this series. Um, it's only one, I think, twice in my lifetime down there. So, I mean, it's obviously they've had their way with Kentucky, but do you think there's still going to be that excitement? Because I know the cocktail party is just around the corner, and I know that's, you know, the huge game there every year. Is there still a, is there an excitement for, like, you know, we're playing a top 11, top 10 team? Or is maybe Kentucky sneaking in the right under the radar a little bit? You know, I, I think had Alabama won at Texas A&M and Georgia was number two coming into this game, there would be maybe that that sneak in factor of Kentucky. But the Aggies get it done in in College Station. Georgia catapults to number one in the rankings, and and that's brought about a new sense of energy here in Athens. Um, you know, you won't hear Kirby Smart and the players celebrating it, but you know, the, the fact that the fact is Georgia is getting all this national attention as, you know, this potential playoff lock, this team that's in their own tier. And 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 I don't necessarily agree with either of those two things. I, I think there are other teams that are in the you know same tier as Georgia. Uh, I, by no means do I consider them a playoff lock with with two top, you know, top 25 matchups in, in their next two games. If you get through October and you're undefeated, maybe you can start talking that, but, but, you know, you've still got a tough test on the road at Tennessee. Uh, you obviously, you know, if, if everything, if Georgia handles their business over the next you know couple of weeks, you, you've got a matchup in Atlanta for the SEC championship that, that may or may not matter, um, you know, for the Bulldogs, but, but you, you want that right of, you know, claiming that SEC championship trophy. Um, so I, I think there's a lot to play for still for Georgia. Um, and, and that, you know, there's this, like I said, this new sense of energy um, in Athens this week with, with the number one ranking. Uh, you know, I think that's something that, that a lot of Georgia fans are taking a lot of pride in that, you know, it's been since 2008 that they were the number one team in the country. They came into that season preseason number one, according to the AP but, you know, didn't have the best of openers, one, but didn't look great and, and dropped down to number two. Uh, it's been since 1982 uh, when Herschel Walker was still roaming the sidelines for Georgia. Um, and, and you know, that the, the, they were number one in season. So I think that, that there's going to be a, uh, you know, a, a huge boost from the crowd Saturday. Um, you know, in, in, and a jolt of that energy when, when the PA announcer announces them as the number one team in the land. Um, I think that that is absolutely going to uh, set that Sanford Stadium crowd um, on fire. And, and that, 
you know, that that's exactly what Kirby Smart wants. You saw, you mentioned that Arkansas game and, and you saw the impact that this crowd was able to have early in that game, uh, you know, forcing back-to-back false starts on the first drive. You know, they, they were, they were messing with the cadence on the, on the, you know, punt that Georgia ended up blocking and, it, and, you know, that, that energy, Georgia, you know, the energy from the stands, the players rode with that. And, and like you said, jumped out to a 21, nothing lead. You know, atmosphere is like at college game day. I think fans are going to get started early. Um, it, like you said, it's a little bit different this time since it's a three thirty kick rather than a noon kick. Um, I think the fans will show out to college game day and, and you know, attend in Myers quad, uh, you know, before they move over towards the stadium for their pregame festivities over there uh, versus last time it was, you know, noon kick. You got to, you got to get in. And, and like Kirby was saying with that one, get in early, uh, you know, be loud and, and all that. Um, so I, I think that, I think that you will see the atmosphere in Athens all day Saturday uh, be similar to what it was, in that first quarter uh, against Arkansas. Um, Will, or uh, excuse me, Adam, you know, let's, let's talk Will Levis here. Uh, you know, to me, the biggest difference is with this Kentucky team, it's still a physical football team. It's still, uh, you know, Kirby Smart has said that he has praised them as, um, you know, one of the most, uh, you know, they're either their, their most physical or one of the most physical games that they play every year. Uh, that's, that's just kind of, you know, Mark Stoops' thing. And, and he's had his teams ready to play some very, uh, you know, physical games against Georgia. Not, that hasn't necessarily shown on the scoreboard as of late, but, you know, you've seen Georgia come out of those games banged up last year. I think they lost three defensive linemen, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because of what, Kentucky was able to do on the offensive line. So you've, you've still got that physicality, you know, the, the, there's still the, the run game that's strong defense is strong. That's that Stoops is calling card. The, the biggest difference to me is the offense this year and, and the, the ability to pass the ball downfield. Um, you know, Adam, what, what are your thoughts on that with the addition of uh, transfer quarterback, Will Levis, who made, made national news for his banana eating right. habits uh, but but is also making uh, you know creating storylines with his play on the field. Yeah, banana ball is running rampant in Lexington for sure. But with Levis, he was a raw around the edges prospect. There was times at Penn State where you saw some oh wow plays that made you sit up in your seat a little bit. So he comes to Kentucky, he wins the job in I mean literally like ten days. Um, he shows up month before camp, camp starts. They have maybe six, seven practices. He wins the job. Joey Gatewood transfers to UCF. So it's his show for the whole season. And so, you know, the talk of all camp was like, man, the the offense, the passing game is really looking good. Um, Multiple players on both sides of the ball were like, it's really going to be different this year. And a lot of that was powered because of they just had a new quarterback in there that can make some throws at the – Previous quarterbacks of the Stoops era just could not make. And you've seen some of that. You've seen him hit on some deep shots. Um, you've seen him really stretch the field vertically on a lot of deep posts and over routes and really some wow throws, wow moments with him. And then also there's the there's a reason he was a run first quarterback and a wildcat short yardage player there at Penn State. We've also seen him lower his shoulder and get some tough yards. So there has been some exciting plays for him. It's just – the play-by-play process and the consistency. Um, he struggled with some intermediate throws over the middle, most times coming out too hot or too high. 
Um, some simple swing passes to the running backs have been off target um, more often than not. So with him, it, there's still intricacies he's working through. You can still see the ceiling, um, the high ceiling, but there's been some low points. He did not play well against South Carolina or Florida. And so he was fit. There were some down points for the offense where they were like, well, what do we have here? And then he bounced back and really played his best game of the season against LSU. Um, they got him going on the run run game early, which seemed to calm him down. Um, and then he settled in and was very efficient throwing the football, um, both in the short, intermediate, and deep passing game. He had probably two or three of the best throws he's had all season were in that LSU game. And so for him, he's still growing. I think at the November bowl game, Will Levis is going to look a lot better than even the Will Levis we'll probably see Saturday in Georgia. Um, and then next year, Will Levis, I think, potentially if he keeps growing, has the chance to be one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC. But for right now, he's still a work in progress, and he's playing for a new offensive coordinator who's calling plays um, for first time at this level. So I think there's been some growing pains there too. Um, but together, you're starting to see some signs. Um, and he, like I said, he can make some throws that keeps defense honest at the least. Like you're going to have to play – when Wondell Robinson lines up, you have to respect that because you have to respect his ability to get behind the defense, and no matter where he gets, Levis can get the ball there. He's got that kind of arm. And so that element alone has just – I think it's helped Kentucky a lot on offense, and it's just kind of created what Mark Stoops wanted, the blueprint he wanted. He still wanted a physical downhill running game, but he wanted to make defenses pay with the play action that be able to hit passes um, to create explosive plays with, with the passing game. And I think that's kind of what's happened at Kentucky – and that's why their offense, you seem they've taken a lot of jumps in certain areas, and a lot of it's because defenses, I think, have to respect that that long ball. Yeah, and you bring up Wondell Robinson there, and another transfer coming in from Nebraska. Uh, the the new faces in that in that Kentucky offensive you know meeting room uh, certainly making their impact known between Levis Robinson and offensive coordinator Liam Cohn. Uh, you know, how how have you seen guys like Robinson, uh, you know, complement what Cone wants to do as an offensive coordinator? Like you said, Stoops still wanted this, you know, physical, efficient run game to be present, and, and it absolutely is with, with the SEC leader in rushing, uh, Chris Rodriguez. Um, but, but at the same time, you've also got the SEC leader in terms of receiving yards in, in Wandale Robinson. So, you know, how have you seen, uh, you know, some of these guys that have been around the program, plus guys that are, are new to the program in, in Levis and Robinson, you know, create that balance and, and you know, find that, uh, you know, perfect harmony uh, that, that, you know, Mark Stoops has wanted for quite some time? The addition of Wandale Robinson just gave them a true bona fide perimeter playmaker that is a pro. He's going to get drafted. He's a pro, and he makes big-time plays. Kentucky force-feeds him the football. Jet sweeps, screens, intermediate passes, deep passes. They are looking to get him the ball in as many ways as possible. He leads them in targets by, like, I think it's 30. He has 57 targets this year. Second guy, I think, is Josh Ali at 26. Now, Ali didn't play last week, but that's on a per-game basis. He's getting six, seven more passes, it seems like, than these other guys. So they are force-feeding him the football, and he's just a big-time playmaker. Yeah, I mean, you've seen him make plays against everybody on Kentucky's schedule so far, and that's Kentucky has not had that. There's been a lot of talk and publicly with Stoops about how they need to get more playmakers at, at the receiver position, 
kind of directly talking to some of the recruits they're targeting right now. And that, that, that plays out on the field. They have one in Robinson that, and they need more. And so for him, that that's what, that's what's kind of allowing the offense more than anything. The scheme helps obviously, but you got to have the dudes to go make the plays and he's a dude. And so Kentucky hasn't had that too often on at receiver in the Stoops era. And they have it with Wondell Robinson. Other areas, Josh Ali was looking like a solid number two receiver. He's not playing on Saturday. That's a significant loss for Kentucky. And then also tight end Keaton Upshaw was potentially an all-SEC caliber tight end entering the season. He was lost before the year. Right before camp started, he had, a, I believe, a weightlifting accident towards pectoral muscle. So he's out for the season. So you headed into the year thinking your top three guys were going to be Ollie, Wondell Robinson, and Keaton Upshaw. Kentucky's out to those guys right now. So it's had caused them to get a little younger. Isaiah Cummings is a sophomore. They've moved from receiver to tight end during fall camp, and they're using him a lot. He's playing more and more as the weeks go on, but he's still a work in progress. By the end of the season, they may have something with him at that position, but it's methodically trying to work him in. And then they got some other veterans they are just trying to plug into the other gaps, and they they get the ball to tight ends, Justin Rigg and Brendan Bates. And so it's the offense passing game is really a work in progress. I mean, Wandell is a dude, but after him, if you can slow him down, that's they Kentucky has big question marks there. They just got a guy back two weeks ago, Tom McClain, who's kind of half wide receiver, half running back. He caught a 25 yard touchdown for a wheel route there against LSU. He's going to be a guy I think it's going to be a heavy portion of the pass game, and you might be able to start seeing his workload maybe ramp up this week. But Kentucky's just really thin at wide receiver. They just don't have the guys there. Um, it's, why, it's why the addition of Wondell Robinson was so big for them this season. It's changed just everything because without him, they would probably be having a lot of the same issues they had on offense last year. But with him and the play calling going hand-in-hand, hand, it's kind of opened everything up for them. And it's allowing them, really, when you look at some of the numbers, like Kentucky's not a great offensive team, but it's got a chance to be like a top 30, top 35 offense. And with their defense – that's going to beat a lot of people. It may, might, might not beat Georgia's very often, but it's going to beat a lot of other guys. And it's kind of set with their and with a, been a, or a manageable schedule. It's setting up where they can win a lot of games this season. Yeah, Adam, I'm really curious to see how Georgia's going to go about approaching defending Robinson because if, if you've looked at Georgia's, you know, season, the biggest challenge that they've faced in terms of receiving uh, you know, would certainly be Traylon Burks, but a completely different style right. of player Burks being on the, on the you know, ma- massive side for receiver mm-hmm. uh, Georgia limited him to three catches, 10 yards, uh, no touchdowns uh, as Arkansas was shut out. But the player that has probably given them the most trouble in terms of receiving is, is a smaller guy in Josh van uh, in that South Carolina game um so i'm very curious to see the the ways that georgia tries to handle defending uh robinson and and you know whether they've decided you know how how they've learned from that josh van experience um believe he had over 100 yards against them um Mm -hmm. and and, and, all, all deep shots too to him um because i remember scouting that game for when kentucky played south carolina the next week and I believe Van had like 170 of their 300 yards, it felt like, or whatever it was. Just three catches, 128 yards. Right. 128 of, I think they had 300 total yards of offense that day, all came from him. Yep. So, like, like you said, I mean, three catches, 128 yards. I mm-hmm. mean, that is, that is, you know, a big play, you know, whenever he's touching the ball, 42.7 for the average. Right. Uh, if, if Georgia is giving that up to Wandale Robinson, he, he can make them pay. 
in, in, in a similar way that Josh Van made them pay, uh, you know, giving up a touchdown, their, their first defensive score of the season at the time. Uh, you know, I, it's going to be interesting to me to see whether Georgia approaches it with, you know, by a committee approach with, with Wandell Robinson or whether they want to take, uh, you know, one guy and leave him on Robinson the entire game. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgia, Georgia's done different approaches there um, and, and typically sticks to one side of the field uh, and leaves their cornerbacks on, on one side of the field to, you know, eliminate some of the chaos that, that guys moving around the field can create. Um, and, and I think Kirby Smart, knowing, you know, what kind of corners he has, knowing his defense, they, they really like to play that man-to-man on the outside. So, um, you know, it's certainly a challenge when you face a guy like Robinson because he, he can if, – if you go man-to-man on him and, and you leave a corner on an island against Robinson, he can make you pay. Uh, and, and like you said earlier to me mm-hmm. when we were doing that Q&A, Levis has a bazooka of an arm and, and, and can make you pay, uh, you know, if, if Robinson is open. So it, it's certainly going to be interesting there, uh, you know, especially if, if you think about the way that teams have have covered Robinson, uh, you know, being forced to kind of bracket him, um, you know, and, and give some safety help over the top. Georgia is very banged up at safety, uh, you know, has, you know, Lewis seen is in there. He's healthy, uh, you know, missed a play last week. Uh, but, you know, ended up coming back in, had the you know wind knocked out of him. Uh, but, but they did lose Chris Smith uh, to a shoulder injury. His shoulder popped out of place. They were able to pop it back into place, and, and he was in and out of pads on the sideline, ended up not in, reentering the game. Um, injury occurred on the first drive of the game, and, and walk-on Dan Jackson uh, stepped in. Uh, so Georgia, very limited there at safety. In terms of depth, uh, you know, they lost a couple guys to the transfer portal in the spring and summer to at, at that safety position. Major Burns is a guy who's who's playing big minutes for LSU that Georgia would absolutely love to have him uh, now, you know, back in Athens, um, you know, but obviously he's he's balling down in Baton Rouge. And and, uh, you know, so that that means that Georgia is having to cross train some guys, um, you know, Latavius Brini, who is their normal starting star. Uh, you know, had to step over to safety when seen, you know, headed to the sideline. So you had Lewis seen and, and uh, excuse me, you had Dan Jackson and Latavius Brini playing safety with Tyke Smith, who, who's coming off of an injury uh, playing star. Um, you know, I, I believe Tyke is going to continue to work his way back into the lineup, but he's, he's got a, uh, you know, he, he's a star that they cross train at safety when they're not in a nickel or dime look is what Kirby Smart told us. And, and you know, it, it's hard for him, it's going to be hard for him to get some playing time because of the way that Latavius Brini has been playing in the secondary. So certainly an interesting matchup uh, on the outside uh, in terms of the inside and, and the way that Georgia, you know, has handled the run game this year, uh, you know, and, and the way that Kentucky has run the ball. I, I think, you know, you, you put out on Twitter that, these two teams are, are, you know, strength on strength. You, you've got, you know, Georgia wants to run the ball. Kentucky's great at stopping the run. You know, Kentucky wants to run the ball. Georgia's great at stopping the run. And, and you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they to that. But in terms of the matchup between the Georgia run game and this, the, the Georgia defense stopping the run uh, with, with their front seven, big front seven, Jordan Davis uh, and, and company, against Chris Rodriguez and this very, very talented Kentucky offensive line. How do you see that matchup kind of playing out? 
yeah, like you said, more times than night, both these head coaches just want to play football in a phone booth. Um, they just want to line up and try to out-muscle, out-man the team across from them. Um, it's both kind of in their winning philosophy. Um, and so I think you're going to kind of see two people button heads in this game. For Kentucky, they've got a really good offensive line. Darian Kennard, I think, is the best run-blocking right tackle in college football. I think he's up there for being one of the best tackles in college football. He moves people at the line of scrimmage. He's a great run blocker, but he's going to be facing a tough challenge. But for me, when I look at this matchup, inside is where the issues are going to be when you look at Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, going up against Kentucky's interior. Luke Fortner is a really good center. Um, but at, around him, if you're looking for the two weaknesses probably of Kentucky's offensive line, it's at guard, right guard, Eli Cox, first-year starter, left guard, Kenneth Horsey, second-year starter. Horsey's more of a pass blocker, um, probably the weakest run blocker on Kentucky's front. Um, and then Cox ha- has some power, but, you know, he's he's young still, so he's still going through some growing pain. So for Kentucky, it's getting those guys blocked. And then Kentucky's run game is very inside zone heavy. So you're going – you're leaning on double teams inside – right there and getting those guys blocked can be very difficult. Now, Chris Rodriguez did have a lot of success relatively against Georgia last year, ran for over a hundred yards and he's really kind of catching his groove here the last couple weeks. The Florida game, he had limited touches, but he was ahead of the, they were keeping ahead of the chains every time he ran the ball against Florida. Um, he only carried the ball 16 times last week, but ran for 147 yards, really roasted LSU. And so he's getting going. It's for, for Kentucky. Really, the interesting part for me in this matchup is just how schematically how Liam Cohen gets the ball to his dudes. He's got two guys, Wando Robinson, number one, Chris Rodriguez, number 24. How can we effectively scheme it up so they can get effective touches in the game? Obviously, Ron Wandell, you can do some different things, but Rodriguez, you're going up against a bear of a defensive front and trying to run the ball. It's going to be tough, so – Figuring out what they can do. Kentucky has faith in their offensive line. They should. It's one of the better groups, I think, in college football. But this Georgia front is a, di- I mean, it's a different animal that they're going against. So, how Cohen, it's a big test for Cohen. The Florida game was not a good moment for him. Ty Grantham got the better of that matchup, it felt like. But they bounced back last week. And that you saw, like, it felt like you saw the whole package from him, why you would hire him. They were, everything they did was right. They had LSU out of sorts all game. Um, so for him, this is a big moment for him because Kentucky, they went out and hired him to – like the goal is to win games like this eventually. You know, we still need to get better players, still need to recruit better, but the goal is to win the division, go to the Atlanta. That's the goal. But to do that, Kentucky feels like they have the defense to do it now. Like I think Kentucky's walking in this matchup and Mark Stoops and Brad White are sitting in their position room and they're saying, all right, if we, if we protect the football on offense, don't lose a field position battle, we can hold this offense at 17 points because I think we can stop the run, and I think we're good enough in the back end where we can, we can eliminate big plays and make Georgia earn drives. So we can hold this team to 17, 20 points. But Stoops is also thinking, I, to me, for me to win this game, we got to be able to score. And so that's why you went out and hired a Liam Cohen, and I think this is a big test for him. You, get, you know, everything's on the line. I, there's, there's a, I think there's a house money factor here for Kentucky. Because you lose this game, you can still, you know, you can be 10 and two and in the top 10 at the end of the season or 11 and one and in the top six, seven. So, you know, and you can lose to an undefeated number one team in the country. But you do need to see a little bit of proof of concept from Cohen. You want to be able to have some faith in that offense that moving forward, you could potentially win a game like this. And so 
think it's a big test. I'm interested to see how he matches up with Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning um, because there's no real hiding from what Georgia wants to do. You know, they, they get a little creative with how they pressure the quarterback, bringing linebackers and stuff, but most of it is just we get our, our front three is better than your front five blocking us, and we got guys off the edge that can, that can speed rush. And so can Kentucky match that? What can they do to have some success? Um, that's really, from the Kentucky side, I think it's the most interesting thing in this matchup. Because I think on the other side of the football, I think Kentucky – now they have some defensive line injuries, but I think they feel good about matching up with Georgia. I think playing them every year obviously helps with that. Um, and I think their scheme is a little different than Arkansas's where they can maybe have a little bit more success stopping the run where Arkansas is playing, you know, six defensive backs a lot. Kentucky's going to get big and make Georgia run over them. Yeah, you, you bring up the other side of the ball. When Georgia has the ball and Kentucky's on defense, Mark Stoops feeling confident there. Uh, Georgia's rushed for over 200 yards in the past three games. One of those against Vanderbilt. They, they ran for 243, and then you mentioned the Arkansas outing. They put up two season high, 273. They just barely got over the 200-yard mark on Saturday uh, against Auburn, took a, uh, you know, they, they were they were up above 200, and then they dipped right back below and, and ended up at 201 uh, with, with a Dejan Edwards run. will be very interesting to see if Georgia can run for uh, another, you know, 200-yard game on Saturday. Um but, but you bring up the injuries there that, that Kentucky has on the defensive line. Georgia is incredibly banged up on, on the offensive side of the ball. JT Daniels is, is the big storyline. And, and, you know, quite frankly, I, I, I would not expect him to play on Saturday. I, I think that Georgia's, you know, being incredibly precautionary with this injury, um, a grade one lat strain, similar to what Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys dealt with uh, during their preseason so to, to me, Georgia is, is doing everything, anything and everything possible to keep Stetson Bennett in the game and, uh, you know, and, and let JT get healthy at least through this bye week. Um, and, and, you know, Georgia, you know, takes the bye and then heads to Jacksonville for Florida. Uh, you, you can't look too far down the road, but, but if you can get through this game with Stetson Bennett, that, that's, that's absolutely what Kirby Smart wants to do. And, and I think part of that means – Telling Stetson, you know, less designed runs for Stetson. You, you saw him scramble for a 30-yard pickup against Auburn. That was not designed by any means. But, but you know, you're not seeing the, uh, the QB draw as much as you might, uh, you know, with him. You know, he, he's not a bruiser in terms of what, he's, what he does as a running back, uh, you know, as, as a runner uh, in, in his style. But he's, he's able to extend plays with his legs and, and you know, pick up yardage when he needs to. Uh, you know, drew a targeting call on, on Smoke Monday um, against Auburn as he scrambled towards the pylon. Um, and like I said, got, got that 30-yard pickup and, uh, you know, hit the Heisman pose in the middle of it. Certainly funny to see that photo. Uh, it's, but in terms of outside of that, Georgia's banged up too. I mean, at wide receiver, you've got Jermaine Burton, who Jermaine Burton and Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, both missed the last game uh, at wide receiver. Burton dealing with a groin. Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint dealing with a uh, ankle injury he, that he suffered against Vanderbilt. So he's missed the last two games. Uh, Georgia hasn't had Arian Smith in several outings. He suffered a shin contusion against 
I believe it was UAB. I can't remember whether it was that UAB game or South Carolina, but he's been out for quite some time. Dom Blaylock hasn't played since the 2018, excuse me, 2019 SEC championship game when he suffered a torn ACL, retore it last preseason. And then as he's been working his way back, he's been dealing with a little bit of a hamstring injury. Kirby Smart said that they don't expect him back this week. Uh, same goes for a mere speed at corner. Um, you know, th- there was an injury update there uh, on the offensive line. Jamari Salyer is, is banged up. He he rolled his ankle, um, been going through practice. But, you know, I, I think in t- what's been impressive to me so far this year with Georgia is when those injuries have occurred, who has stepped up? Well, you know, in, in the case of Jermaine Burton, they had Lad McConkey step up and, and play on the outside. He, he's used to playing in the slot. Well, he played that Z position and put up 150 something yards on, on five catches. Um, team high there uh, for the Bulldogs against Auburn. You, you saw Broderick Jones step in at left tackle. Uh, you know, last week, a very talented guy that, that Georgia feels confident in at left tackle, uh, but, but you know, hasn't necessarily been able to beat out a senior in Jamari Salyer uh, to, to, you know, take over that left tackle spot, even though Salyer is a more natural guard and, and they would probably like to get him in at guard. Uh, this to me, this feels like a perfect opportunity. If if you feel confident with what Jones did against Auburn, if if Salyer's not able to go, and and uh, you know they they feel confident with what he does this week against Kentucky, Jones that is, uh, you know, to me, this this injury to Salyer feels like an opportunity to let Broderick Jones get comfortable at left tackle and and earn his spot there, and then move Jamari Salyer inside. Um, so definitely some storylines there. Uh, but to me, the biggest would be, um, you know, and if they're going to be, you know, like, like we said, this is these are two coaches that would like to play this game in a phone booth. I feel like that's a great, you know, gr- great way of saying that. And, um, you know, to, to me, how do you feel like, uh, Adam, how do you feel like Kentucky is going to go about trying to stop the run uh, and, and forcing Georgia to play, uh, you know, maybe left-handed and, yeah. and get Stetson Bennett throwing the ball? Yeah, Kentucky's base package this year has been kind of a 3-3-5. Three, three, You've got your four typical secondary players, and then you got kind of like a hybrid safety-type type linebacker. The main reason they did that is because redshirt sophomore J.J. Weaver tours ACL on Thanksgiving Saturday against Florida last year. So they and they were very thin at that edge position. So they didn't know when they would have him back. Really, thankfully, he's been able to recover really fast. He's played in every game this year. He's made some big plays, but throughout the season, we really haven't seen him and Jordan Wright kind of play together in that base three four, which has kind of been what they've been under Stoops and Brad White. I think this is kind of a game where you probably play them together. I think they're two of probably Kentucky's best five or six defensive players. So it's allowing you to get your best 11 on the field. So for them, I think you could see them get get those guys on the field to kind of help set the edge, keep everything tight and inside, um, and try to feed everything into your middle linebackers and your interior defenders. For the inside, Kentucky, really, Marquand McCall was a top 200 kind of recruiting room for Kentucky out of Detroit, a senior nose tackle, one of the biggest nose tackles in college football. He was lost in the Florida game. And you recruit a Marquand McCall like for this game, for when you want to play football in a phone booth, to give you your guy to plug two gaps there at the line of scrimmage, take up blockers, and make running the ball hard. So losing him was a tough loss. Now they've got two guys behind him that are sophomores that are both going to be really good players. 
Justin Rogers was another big recruit out of Detroit, and Josiah Hayes was a big recruiting win for Kentucky out of Mississippi. Um, but both of them are young and going, going through some growth. Like there, there's been great moments. Like Justin Rogers kind of owned Florida center in that game, which was really surprising from what we've seen before him. Um, but then he kind of got lost in the shuffle there a little bit against LSU. So he's a young player, you're getting those ups and downs. And then at their tackle position, kind of three-tick, four-tick there, Octavius Oxidine's another sophomore, really came on the last two weeks, started playing some good football. He was lost for with a knee injury for the season in the win over LSU in the fourth quarter, unfortunately. So after him, there's real depth issues there at that position. They've got some bodies, but that's pro- that's the weakest position on their defense. There's no, I don't think, real hiding from it. So for Kentucky, um, Abule Body Fitzgerald is kind of a redshirt senior, um, kind of a developmental player. He's going to be the starter there. I think they're going to rotate bodies there. Um, but it's going to be hard for Kentucky, I think, to hold up there when Georgia sends some double teams that way. So how Kentucky counters that is going to be one of the things I'm watching early in the game. For Georgia, um, what we've seen here the last two weeks, people are starting to run away from Josh Paschal. Um the defense, um, the defensive end on the three down defensive end on the other side. He's been a wrecking ball. He was the best player on the field against Florida. He was the main reason why Kentucky beat Florida. He just and that was a Florida offense that came in with the best rushing attack in college football. They're averaging nearly eight yards per carry with all this option stuff they were doing. And Pascal kind of they couldn't get him blocked, and he wrecked a ton of it. Kentucky held them nearly half of their season average total total yards and then three yards below their yards per rush average. And he was a big reason for that. If you turn on the tape, he, he was just everywhere. Um, and then he made a lot of plays against LSU last week. So for Georgia, I, I would run away from Josh Pascal. I mean, it wouldn't take me much to figure out. So I think Kentucky, how they handle that, um, it's really kind of kind of be the game. And then for Kentucky, like last week, all I think they Georgia saw a lot of man against Auburn. Um, at least that's what Auburn did against LSU. Um, that's what Derek Mason's kind of MO is there. Kentucky's not going to give you much, man. They're going to drop into zone, a lot of cover three, and they're going to make you dink and dunk down the field. The way you get them out of that is really just to establish the run, um, run it down their throat, get them out of that, or you just have an efficient quarterback that can hit small, tight windows and good receivers. Um, some of LSU's receivers are able to get in some of those windows and win some matchups last week, but Georgia's banged up at receiver like you talked about, and that maybe put a lot of pressure on Stetson Bennett throwing against an experienced secondary. Usually Kentucky, not many miss assignments are usually in the right spots. So that's a foolproof strategy, but it's all based on, you know, holding up against the run a certain amount. And Kentucky without one of their, you know, a little thin there defensive line, that's a huge question mark in this game. If Kentucky can be stout and hold up against the run, I think they're going to have a chance to get that's embedded in some advantageous passing situations. But if they're not and they can't stop the run, then they're going to have to get out of what they like to do and play maybe some more man and that's not where Kentucky is really super comfortable. Um, so that's kind of the matchup there. It's really all about the, the run game to me here on this side of the ball. If Georgia's able to have some success, run for, you know, 250 yards on a on a decent per average clip, it's going to be a good day for Georgia on offense. But if they're not, if Kentucky makes them earn it and they have to, you know, it's not a lot of success against the run and they're in a lot of third and sevens or plus whatnot, then I think Kentucky could have a pretty good day on – defense and then it can I think you could see something where it's a pretty close game in the fourth quarter if Kentucky's able to do that so that's really the matchup here I think Kentucky they have to slow down that run game there's no getting around that if they do that I think they like their chances 
um, going against Stetson Bennett and those receivers and their zone coverage. But if they're not, they could be in trouble. Yeah, to, to me, and, and maybe it's because we both cover teams that that have been you know known for their ground and pound. To me, it always starts with your ability to run the ball and your ability to stop the run. If you're able to run the ball and, and you're able to be balanced on offense, if you're able to stop the run, you force the opposing offense into some you know passing right. situations where you're able to get pressure on the quarterbacks, which is something that, that both these teams are able to do. Yeah, strength on strength in this matchup, both sides Absolutely. of the ball. Absolutely. Well, Adam – I don't know how y'all handle predictions over there, but but we handle ours uh, later in the week. But, uh, you know, just want to get your final thoughts on this game, uh, you know, maybe a potential player of the game and, and uh, you know, maybe a score prediction, you know, a midweek feeling towards uh, how you think this game might go. Yeah, for me looking at this matchup, it's just hard for Kentucky right now because these programs are mirror images of each other with how they play, how they coach, style, everything. Georgia's just got better players. So when that's the situation, you have to make it up for there in the margins. And the best way you can do that is at quarterback. If you got a quarterback that can go and make plays and you got receivers going one-on-one, I don't think Kentucky has that right now. So it's for Kentucky to win this game, it's got to be a limited possession game, and they've got to be like plus two, plus three in the turnover column. Um, it's just hard for me to see that happening. Kentucky hasn't forced a lot of takeaways this season um, towards the bottom of the SEC. So I think Kentucky's going to be able to hang in there. I think they're going to have a little more success on the ground than most teams have had against Georgia this year, which is not a lot, um, but it will start something. I think they're going to be able to hang around, and I think stylistically they're going to get in a game with Georgia where it's going to be hard for one side or the other to blow each other out. So I think they're going to be able to hang around, but I think Georgia's probably going to keep them at arm's length for most of the game. I'm thinking somewhere like 27-13 right around something around there. Like Georgia kind of has control, but Kentucky's never fully out of it. And then late in the fourth quarter, it kind of becomes clear that Kentucky's not going to do this today. It's Georgia's day. Um, but a physical football game, um, both teams playing hard. I think you're going to see a lot of collisions. But it's just hard for me to see Kentucky getting over that hump. And I think really probably the, the MVP is probably just going to be that Georgia defensive front. I think they'll probably bottle up Chris Rodriguez, which is not easy to do. And that's going to make life difficult for Will Levis and the rest of the Kentucky offense. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Kentucky is able to run the ball a little bit better than, than what some other teams have done. You saw it last year that they gave Georgia some trouble uh, running the ball. And, and that was a very talented Georgia run defense last year, too. Uh, but Chris Rodriguez, like you said, topping 100 yards last season in that game. I think I think Georgia, you know, like you said, I, I think this is a game where Georgia has the players to go out and beat Kentucky. Uh, but it's it's going to be a physical battle, uh, a four quarter battle. Um, I, I don't think Georgia covers the spread, uh, and and I think it's probably similar score wise to uh, to what Georgia had last week. My prediction last week for Auburn was was thirty one ten, and um, uh, my gut feeling midweek is is that I'm probably going to be somewhere in that same range, maybe a little bit closer. Like you said, like a twenty seven thirteen type game. Uh, you know, both these defenses are strong. Both these coaches, you know, love to, love a strong defense, have a strong defense, have a strong run game. So, like you said, mirror images of each other, and it's uh, certainly going to be interesting to see how it plays out in a top fifteen battle between the hedges on Saturday. No doubt. Well, Adam, really appreciate you coming on with us this week. And, uh, you know, tell our folks where they can come find you. Yeah, KentuckySportsRadio.com is my home on the World Wide Web. Twitter, Adam Luckett, KSR. Um, 
check us out pumping out a ton of content this week and we'll be down in athens man looking forward to see you palmer yep it's adam and looking forward to meeting you on saturday madness is here say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed it's time to go dancing on america's number one sports book right now new customers get 200 dollars in bonus bets if your first five dollar bet wins on FanDuel. that's 200 bucks to use on point spreads money lines you can even pick who's going to win it all just visit fanduel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets must be 21 and older and present in select states first online real money wager only ten dollar first deposit required bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt see terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com fanduel is offering online sports wagering in kansas under an agreement with kansas star casino llc gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com rg in colorado iowa michigan new jersey ohio Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-427 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.